0: holistic health masterclass podcast this is brett and um, i am coming to you here on march 18th Uh, we are mid pandemic and things are shutting down uh, real fast all over the world Uh, so wherever you are i just hope that you're doing okay that you're staying safe that you are self-isolating that you're taking the necessary precautions to protect yourself and your family um You know, I don't want to make this a somber episode because that's not really what it's about. Um, And I also don't want to make it a long episode because my recording that I did, which I'll get to in a second, is long enough on its own. Okay, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I'm going to be, depending on when you're listening to this, I'm going to be doing a distilled... Podcast on its own that sort of discusses a few of these things uh, that I'm going to talk about with Dr. James Lyons Weiler today. Uh, I want to talk about them in more simplistic terms, okay? Because I understand that a lot of you listening to this are maybe not scientists or not health professionals. You don't understand the lingo, um, but I wanted to leave this recording in its entirety as it is, okay? Um, It saves me time on editing, but also um, for those of you that are perhaps more science minded or doctors or medical professionals and so on um you will appreciate uh james going into some more detail on some of the finer points and the nitty-gritty i also just want to point out that you know there are things that we know there are things that we don't know there are things that we think we know and um there's things that we just know absolutely nothing about at all so uh, this just bear this in mind and put this in context when you're listening to this Uh, things are moving real fast here and there are constantly new developments happening so I've done my best to try and not get too far ahead of the story and to give you the best snapshot of where we're at right now. All right. So my guest today is Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, also known as Dr. Jack. And uh, for longtime listeners of the show, you would have remembered him from a previous podcast that we did on vaccines. Uh, So, um, you know, if you I'm not going to get into his whole history and his whole bio, suffice to say that he is a Ph.D. scientist. Um, He has designed many, many studies. He's worked with some of the top universities in the world. Um, He's an esteemed and respected scientist and is also very, very good with predictive modeling. Um, So you know, you'll get a sense of that when you listen to this podcast. Uh, but here's the snapshot of what we talk about, right? So we talk about some of the basic stuff. So how is this transmitted? Um, what are these sort of incubation periods? Uh, what should people do? We talk about self-isolating and self-quarantining and why that's important. We obviously talk about the spread, right? And, and I ask a very blunt question, you know, should we be concerned? Is this pandemic actually going to blow up? So we talk about that and we get into um, the ins and outs of that Uh, we also talk uh, a little bit about the whether whether or not this is man-made because this is something that's going on out there people are suggesting that this is man-made that it's a hundred percent bioweapon that it's you know manufactured in a lab and genetically altered etc etc and i've now had multiple reports there's a study that was published in nature as well the journal nature which um, shows that this is not in fact man-made okay so for those of you that are perhaps a little bit more conspiratorial um i'm just i'm just going to leave that subject right there and i'll let you debate that um you you know, hit me up online as well if you want. We spend a good deal of time about talking about what we can actually do, right? So, we do talk... About nutraceuticals and some novel supplementation that may work. Uh, I'm going to be doing a separate podcast on that. So if you're listening to this uh, in the future, there will be a link in the show notes. If you're listening to this fresh right now, today, March 18th, you can expect that podcast within the next couple of days. Okay. Uh, so we talk about nutraceuticals, what supplements actually work to the best of our knowledge based with current science, and of course we talk about vaccines, right? So you know we're we're looking now at Um, Everyone is scrambling to find a vaccine and miraculously we have the Chinese, we've got the Israelis, we've got the Canadians, we've got all these different countries around the world that miraculously two and a half months uh, post-discovery of this virus, we all of a sudden have a vaccine that is ready to go with human trials. At time of recording, they are in fact doing human trials in Seattle, I believe, and uh, they've mustered up 45 participants with no placebo controls Um, and of course, as you will hear in this podcast. Um, There are genuine concerns with regards to no animal safety studies and also looking at the previous SARS vaccine and what happened with those animal studies there as well. We talk a lot about reinfection and this is an important point, right? You know, you see in the UK right now, um, they've actually pulled a full 180. So their approach was going to be let everyone get infected and thereby we would create herd immunity and they really just did a full 180 on that because they realized that the implications would be extremely serious serious. Uh, Part of the reason why that would be serious is we don't really know how this affects people yet. Okay, there are um, more than likely underlying genetic factors. There are also comorbidity factors. So people with pre-existing cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, metabolic syndrome, cerebrovascular disease, and so forth. But when you talk about reinfection, It's starting to become a little bit clear that people who have either previously been uh, infected with SARS, so the original SARS, or MERS, so M-E-R-S, Middle Eastern Respiratory Respiratory Syndrome Virus, so that's M-E-R-S, it's now starting to look like these folks who have been exposed to those viruses previously have a much more aggressive response to COVID-19. We obviously bring into the fold the vaccine and we talk a little bit about why and how this vaccine might play out. And uh, quite frankly, that the vaccine is not necessarily the answer and it is not going to save this pandemic at all. So I think that you're going to find this uh, quite interesting. There's a lot of really, really useful information. And again, for those of you that are not super sciency, I'm going to be putting a link to a shorter summary where um, I'm going to speak about this in very plain English right so I have a lot more to say uh, but you're going to be hearing from me through Facebook and elsewhere Uh, I want to talk about supplements I want to talk about what you can do and uh, what's going on out there so just stay tuned to the podcast if you're not following me on Facebook um, just you know Uh, check out the links on the website and uh, yeah anyway so this recording was actually a Facebook live that we streamed a couple of days ago Um, it's up on YouTube if you want to actually watch the video so check out the links uh, in the show notes there you can see us talking if you want to look at some bobbing heads and um, yeah so that you'll you'll just hear that in the introduction of this episode all right so I'm going to leave it at that Uh, thanks for tuning in and here is Dr. James Lyonsweiler All right, hello everyone. Um, We have obviously had some tech issues, so we are coming to you live through Facebook, um, multiple platforms, and hopefully those of you who are following me, Brett Hawes, um, you are on, Uh, James's platform but either way um, whether you're catching this live whether you're catching the replay um, we are here with some very important information and a bit of an update and a bit of an expansion on um, what's going on with the coronavirus um, pandemic and so forth. Um, James uh, I'm joined today by Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. James thank you for joining me today how are you? I'm well thank you and thanks for interviewing me this is
1: a important time thanks so
0: much It is indeed and I think um you know there's a lot of uh, panic there's a lot of chaos there's a bit of confusion and I think there's also some things that we are being told and things that maybe we're not being told uh so i just want to sort of preface this entire discussion today um for those of you who are not familiar with me first of all i will introduce myself Uh, my name is brett hawes Um, i am a functional medicine practitioner a clinical nutritionist and a professional educator Um, I host uh, the podcast Holistic Health Masterclass podcast, and um, that is partly why we're here today. I've actually had um, Dr. Jack on my podcast before, and we literally conspired, um, I would say a little bit later last night, to hop on this call this morning um, just to unpack some breaking news. So the the purpose of today's um, live session is uh, twofold, probably threefold. First of all, I want to sort of cut through some of the noise out there because the media has created a lot of panic, a lot of hype. And what I want to do today is I really want to try and decipher and discern what is hype and what is, is actually, in fact, real. So, so there's that side of things. The other thing I want to look at is, um, you know, and acknowledge is that there's things that we know right now, there's things that we suspect and we can um, speculate, and there's things that we absolutely don't know. So at time of recording, if you're watching this even two or three days later, because this is such a fast-moving story, uh, some of the information that we share here might have changed, uh, might in fact be incorrect, but we're going to do our best here at this particular time, March 14th um, at 9 a.m. or 9.15 a.m. We're going to do our best to uh, pull some of this together for you. So um, Dr. Jack, and I'm just going to call you Jack here, Mm -hmm. Um, now i'm trying to i was trying to figure out a good point to start our discussion today and i think what i would like to do is just hit some of the easy points right I, i want to avoid rehashing what media is saying and what most people know so um obviously when we look at the numbers uh, this uh, pandemic is it is in fact exploding um there's exponential growth in multiple in all countries uh, for that matter but uh, just this morning we woke up to reports that the EU is now the epicenter um for for what's actually happening so um first and foremost very very straightforward here uh, how how do people actually catch the coronavirus? Um, because you know, there's reports of it lives on surfaces for X amount of time. It can become aerosolized, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's just start there, and we can sort of move our way forward.
1: Sure, thanks, Brett. So great, so opening question. Clearly, uh, the initial reports that um, this virus uh, has an a long, an unusual, and uncharacteristic for coronavirus asymptomatic period um is those reports are correct it's the only thing that could explain the rapid spread of the virus um i've done modeling other people have done modeling and you know you absolutely have to have a a, an asymptomatic period to see the number of 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 cases um obviously you know touching anything in public that has a virus on it or shaking hands or hugging or kissing and that kind of thing. This is an easy way to transfer almost any virus, but this one also apparently can be transferred, um, through the air. Uh, par- I, I'm, I'm calling it partially aerosolized, but it seems like people that were in buildings and <coughs> excuse me on cruise ships that had closed circulatory systems, uh, circulation systems, um, there's one report from China where a person was tracked. Uh, he had no contact whatsoever with anyone who had uh, a diagnosis when they were doing contact tracing, and they found him on closed-circuit television entering a bus, and the person that had been infected had left the bus four hours previously. So it seems like it has a, a lingering tendency. Uh, it's highly infectious is the uh, is the word, which is a different it's highly transmissible it's a very different idea than um you know uh, lethality which is virulence
0: mm. so okay um so that that's so i mean obviously the regular precautions you know washing hands um avoiding contact and so forth but um here's another thing and again i'm just trying to figure out how to unpack this for people so that it's understandable um You know, why have we seen such a rapid escalation um, over the last literally 10 to 14 days? Because you were actually sounding the alarm uh, probably two or three weeks ago now and really saying we need to constrain this. We need to limit contact with one another and so forth. So how is it that whether it's the authorities or, or why are we just so late to the game and why is this escalating at such a rapid pace?
1: That's a great question. So there are multiple social factors that have been at play. Uh, among those social factors include, um, well, let, let's back up a little. We had data from clear data from China and other countries where the outbreak um, had gotten out of hand. And we also had data coming in from Italy. We knew some of the characteristics of this outbreak, and the, including the clinical symptoms. And people say, well, how do we know We'll get to testing i'm sure but how do we know that it's actually coronavirus and and not some diagnostic substitution and that they're trying to control society and that this is some kind of a hammer that's being um slammed down um it would take a a, an extraordinary amount of um uh, planning for this to have been planned way back in 2005 and i'll get to why i think that that's unlikely um but nevertheless uh, the cdc distributed some tests um, shipped out some tests to the princess cruise ship and those tests um, had a tendency for false negatives i had done an analysis Mm -hmm. of that the constituent parts of the test that make the test work and sent the results to cdc and now i have alerted the fda and the fda has responded with great interest about the specific mechanical things that are wrong or biochemical things that are wrong with the test. Um, And um, so obviously, if you have a coronavirus and you're asymptomatic and you test negative and you're let go from the cruise ship, you can spread it that way. Um, I don't want to do finger pointing, but, you know, the the presidential administration clearly has favored Uh, business as usual in terms of the economy for as long as possible. They needed a window of time, I think, to get their particular ducks in a row. But in reality, this virus had been traveling to the United States at least, you know, probably since late November, early January. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people then who, you know, had it. And this may explain it must have been here much earlier than the cruise ship because this may this may explain why we hit the hockey stick part of the curve so fast. In my modeling, if we were complacent for eighteen days it still took, you know, months. Uh, a month or two uh, before we would reach the hockey stick with the characteristics of this with with this virus. So, you know, we're looking at a situation where it's already entrenched in the United States and people are waking up to it because it's starting to reach those parts of the population that have the most serious illness from it. And um, yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think it's all these all these factors. It was here far earlier than we thought. There was no response There was an inadequate response to the early calls to um, at least tell people to stop hugging and kissing you're right two or three weeks ago stop putting your hands above your shoulders that kind of thing and now the social distancing that we're you know the voluntary quarantine that's been suggested um i think will morph into mandatory um quarantine and and people need to understand how important that is from the perspective, you know, I'm the last guy to roll over to totalitarianism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yep. people have to understand if you enjoy the comfort of your home, if you're under mandatory quarantine, don't break it because you will be away from your children, your house, your your food, everything. You'll be away from everything that you know and love because they'll put you into a, a, a mandatory quarantine situation um if you break a mandatory quarantine as far as i know there's no mandatory quarantine so far but i haven't read all the headlines this morning
0: Right. And as I said, you know, this is such a breaking story that um, we're starting to see, I mean, even here in Canada, they're talking about literally sealing up the border um, as far. I might be slightly incorrect with this, but I believe that cruise ships are no longer allowed to dock in Canada. So that's um, the the closest or soonest docking date will be um, July, I believe. So, yeah, this is moving at breakneck speed and borders are are getting sealed up real tight. But um, let's hit another um, question that's probably on everyone's mind and that is you know there's um, there's a lot of memes floating around out there and one of them is you know this is just the regular flu we don't need a panic um, it's it's just the same it's a mild cold and I want to talk about um, for the first thing is obviously I mean is that correct um, what are we looking at in terms of rates of infection and then to follow that <clears> rates <throat> of mortality um, and then the second one is you know we're obviously starting to see different populations are being affected differently um, by the virus itself, right? So, you know, I think something you posted late last night, um, which was a research study showing that people in um, Wuhan and Hubei province are are way more susceptible and the symptoms that they're experiencing are way more aggressive than, say, people here in the West. So maybe you can sort of (laughs) unpack that a little bit for us. Sure. So there's a couple of of, uh, questions there. Um, the
1: rate of reproduction of the virus um, is not an intrinsic characteristic of the virus. It depends on how uh, the host species responds. And since we have culture and intelligence, <laughs> I'd like to think we have intelligence, uh, culture and intelligence and technology, um, you know, we can actually modify the rate of spread, as, you, as, as everyone clearly understands now, I think, by, by changing our behavior by not aggregating into large groups, by not touching our face, by not, you know, these kinds of things. But the the R-naught, there's estimates that range, uh, you know, it's above two to maybe as high as four, you know, uh, maybe a little bit above four. And and what that means, the R-naught is the reproductive number that's a basic reproductive number. Now, some people tend to call it a rate. It is not a rate because a rate measure requires the number of infections per unit time. It is simply a number. During an outbreak, it is understood that a person will infect one, two, three, or four, okay? So the entire rate is that until you're no longer capable of transmitting, okay? So don't call it a rate. It's R-naught. It's the number of people that you're likely to infect. And, you know, the cool thing about simulations and modeling is that we can assume that we do nothing, and we just take a lackadaisical approach. Uh, we can assume and, and modify the amount of social distancing, and we can model in. And I did model in the effects of therapeutics and treatment, and so the 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 the, 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 the mortality rate <clears throat> is is linearly related to your to to age. So if you have anybody who's um, it's not unique to the elderly, but if you have anybody that's elderly and and has other conditions, health risk conditions, um, they are at most risk and they should be protected. And don't go visit mm-hmm. grandma, uh, you know, leave groceries on the doorstep and things like that. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it, it, so that there, the, there's a 10 percent case fatality rate in people that have a um, cardiovascular disease, there's a 6% case fatality rate in people that have diabetes. Well, look at the United States of America. What do we have, 45% people that have metabolic syndrome? And so we're a bit bit of a sitting duck here. Um, Certainly, there's been a lot of discussion about the biochemical um, molecule ACE2, which is a receptor on lung epithelial tissue that the virus enters into the cells by. ACE2 is known very well known now uh, by a lot of people in our community uh, to mm-hmm. be increased in in people who smoke. And so you, if you smoke, if you know someone who smoke, now's the time to take the opportunity to finally kick the habit for sure. You know, the, if you have multiple risk factors, you're elderly, you smoke, you've got diabetes, and you've got, you know, um, chronic heart condition, a uh, cardiovascular yeah, yeah, condition. Yeah. Uh, you're on high blood pressure medicines. You want to be sure that you do not get this virus. The first, uh, you don't. You want to be sure of that. Now the difference that you asked mm-hmm. about in Wuhan province, or, sorry, Hubei province, was something that I predicted could could ha- and was very likely to happen. Specifically, you know, there's a, when I when I first made the um, when I first made the uh, uh, phylogenetic analysis about where this thing came from a little bit. Um, which is another important, a completely important discussion, but we're kind of going to stay clear of that for this. What are the facts yeah. that people need to know now? Um, exactly. That, that in, in Hubei province, I suspected that there had been a phase two or, or phase three um, vaccine trial that the Chinese didn't tell the public about or tell the world about um, so they could get a jump on the market of a coronavirus vaccine and the reason why i suspected that is because we know that the chinese created for sars they created a a, not sars-cov-2 but for sars they have they held a phase one clinical trial um and they had something like 120 people that were registered in that clinical trial um and and then the next step would be to assess safety um, to take a look at large, larger populations. Now, <clears throat> this, this clinical trial happened a long time ago. It happened like 2008, 2009, um, and there was kind of a moratorium, a worldwide moratorium um, over doing, you know, human vaccine safety studies with stars. Not because of the anti-vaxxers, because in 2008 to 2016, you know, 2015, where were You know, where was the vaccine risk-aware public that now exists? It was um, a much, much, much smaller movement. But in reality, it was because the the animal safety studies um, that were done actually showed high morbidity and mortality in um, mice and in ferrets that were injected with the SARS spike protein. Um as a vaccine, and then when the mice were v- infected with the virus then then they had a serious very serious mortality rate so that's so, the reason why those uh why we don't have a SARS vaccine and Peter Hotez was uh, testifying to congress earlier this week and he completely misled the american public he completely misled that committee mm. by saying that it's the, the anti-vaxxers are the reason why we don't have sars because we couldn't get funding um you know it's, 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 he's not going to get away with it either we're going to get into this in deep but he's not going to get away with it because everybody that's watching this video uh, i predict by the end of the video will be calling your congressman and senator so you might want to start yes. looking up the <laughs> contact information
0: Right and we'll we'll definitely circle back to that. Um I think just to sort of boil things down for people um are you and, and just to sort of throw a couple of general questions that maybe we can answer in a very straightforward fashion um should we be very concerned <clears throat> based on like from my understanding, the R not or you know how many people each person would infect here in North America anyway is actually quite low, as far as I know. Like I've heard other um, scientists and doctors from Johns Hopkins, for example, that have said they're not really concerned about that R not. Um, you know, I, I, and I don't know what that number is. Perhaps you know uh, whether it's one. You know, one person infects two point four or two point eight people somewhere around there. Um, but but the other thing is. Uh, you know, the exponential spread, right? I mean, are you, uh, you as someone who does predictive modeling and, and, you know, translational science, like, are you concerned that this is really going to blow up
1: it, well we're actually seeing that it is blowing up so there's no doubt about it um i think it's uh, i think that doctor will be rethinking his position he may not be mm-hmm. concerned about they are not for the general population but he certainly should be concerned that patients will be walking in that have for any reason like a broken arm a twisted ankle and carry the coronavirus into his uh, medical facility um, we need to understand that the virus doesn't actually wait for you to have symptoms for to infect the doctor that's examining you the our yeah. our medical frontliners are um are going to be swamped there's no doubt about it the let's break down the expected um, re, let, uh, let me answer the first question the actual R naught yeah. in the United States will change from week to week as the steps to socially isolate um you know to get this under control what we want to do is we want to change the, the the inflection of the curve from exponential which is where it is now to flatten it out and then turn it down and the way to do that is yeah. to target this or not um we have a situation where there's been this virus that's been circulating there's i just saw a report that the estimate there's a hundred thousand people in the state of ohio alone that probably have it that don't know it i saw that
0: yeah yeah
1: and so if that's true and each one of them you know infects more than two people because as they go your kids go to school you know you, you go to work you're shopping you're you know <clears throat> you know the uh, china was uh burning currency because they figured out that the virus could be passed on through dollar bills you know the their currency paper currency um it's it's i'm gonna go with the safe safe assumption and say that this is spreading at a rate that's greater than two point one in the united states and 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 the reason why i say that is the shape of the curve tells us that we're we can expect at least a doubling of new new recognized cases that at the point of inflection in that in that curve when it's at its maximum you know people think that it's an exponential curve it's not it's actually a sigmoidal curve and i hate to get technical but what that means is it starts out flat and then it goes into a point of inflection where it's basically taking us straight up uh, and, wow. and that happened so quickly for people to say this is just like the flu no it's not because the flu of the same time period is going linear increase Okay, it's, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's much much lower in terms of the, 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 the rate of, of new patients so if we've reached this point of inflection then what happens in diseases in a population that are infectious they will start running out of new people to infect and then the curve will flatten out, right. that's a sigmoidal curve and that's where China is right now um, China, as everyone knows, what we see is draconian measures. We see the people, you know, being arrested, uh, being thrown into ambulances, and this kind of thing. We we tend to think that that's a general thing that's happening, and it's not. What what my understanding is that, and I'm not making an apology for the Chinese government for handling people this way, but my understanding is that these are people who have multiple times broke quarantine. Or we're trying to mm. travel out of the province after they closed a the border. And and so you can expect, unfortunately, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But I think we can expect because people will tend to act selfishly. Um, there, was a, there was a medical student that was traveling in Europe. Uh, and, and, and he came back home and he didn't self-isolate. And yet he knew that he mm. had been someplace <clears throat> where there were people with this infection. And, and he came home. Instead of self-isolating, he went to the mall. He went out got something to eat. That's a very selfish act because he may have offset a new chain of transmission that could infect millions. It's very, very important that yeah. you understand that we are part of the problem. And, and it is very difficult for the human mind to accept. There's one one person I know that I've been in contact with about this since since January. And... Um, this person hadn't seen a neighbor in a long time, and uh, they just a few days ago they saw the neighbor and they went over and gave him a big hug. <laughs> and I was like, "Caught you caring, you know? You got it's not that they don't care. It's that the that definite kind of gut react the the gut awareness. Intellectually, we know the math. We know that we should isolate. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: The gut reaction is yeah, but I don't want my kid to be stuck in a quarantine at his friend's house so i have to break quarantine if you break quarantine to go get your kid at the friend's house rather than call the authorities and say i would like to transport my child can you how do i do that you know don't think that 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 there's not even if you see your neighbor you know um in a stressful situation the first thing to do is to say, okay, how do I do this? I I need my child home. I don't want him over there. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not asking people to bow to the state. I'm asking people to use the state. Don't give up your rights. The people don't. Go, the, the first place that people give up the rights is in their heart, where they give up and they say, "Okay, the government's out of control and we can't do anything about it." Don't give up in your heart that there's a human being at the other end of the phone when you call the health department, or the, who, by the way, is most likely working from home. They probably are setting up mm-hmm. phone lines for people to answer these yeah. calls from home, so they too are isolated. We're really all in this together. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think, again, you know, it's just um, smart, sort of sensible advice. Um, so another big question, you know, you brought it up earlier, and I think it's it's probably a good thing to discuss is testing. Okay, I mean, that's been making a lot of news headlines lately. Um, you know, access to testing, are the testi- is the testing accurate? Um, how many people out there? are actually um, you know infected and do not have have not been tested so i don't know i don't know where you want to start with that but maybe you can give us some numbers and how this is all shaken out
1: i want to start with that the history books will blame this uh the rate of spread in the united states on the cdc the world health organization um you know had a had a viable test it was made in germany german engineered test the CDC said, no, thank you. This was a few few weeks ago where we could have been having testing. And everybody understands the importance of accurate diagnostics from this setting now. Um, and they said, no, thank you. We have our own. Ironically, that is the exact same thing that people at the CDC in their diagnostics said to me when I had created the Ebola Rapid Assay Development Consortium. They were going to do blood draws in the airport to do PCR testing for Ebola, during the 2014 Ebola outbreak. And I had realized that that was going to be a problem, so I pulled together three universities under the Ebola Rapid Assay Development Consortium, and we were going to use a colorimetric test that wicks your saliva into a bottle, and then you drop the bottle into a plastic bag and seal it, and then you hand it Mm -hmm. to the person so you're not bleeding all over the airport. And so um, this testing could have been started three weeks ago and the mysterious number that denominator of people who were tested only matters for a short period of time now because pretty soon everyone will be infected is the expectation if then unless they get a test out there then they can really triage people medically they can triage people the, the so the test has some technical flaws that i mentioned earlier i communicated those to the cdc and the fda they should probably ignore Um, part of the test there's a I think four of the probe sets that uh, will amplify human protein encoding genes they should just ignore that part of the kit and use the rest of it Uh, it shouldn't lead to a delay in the rollout of the test they should just have a different interpretation they use a three out of four probe set criteria they should really use a one out of two or two out of three um, and ignore the ones that they they have are likely to give you a false negative Um, and so we really don't know, say, an actual number, but again, if you look in the curve, it really super matters at this point in time in the, when the when the infection is taking off, if you get to be able to triage. It's, it matters here, too, but at the point in time when yeah. you have so many people that are sick and the medical community is already overwhelmed, testing is not going to yeah. matter anymore. It's really not going to matter. That's why they've moved to presume positive, where you say, okay, listen, it's better safe than sorry. Go home and quarantine. You're one person. We recommend that you stay Mm -hmm. home for 14 days. Sorry about the inconvenience. We don't know your status. But, all right, and at that point in time, they're not going to be talking to individuals. They're going to be saying, okay, well, if it's good for them, it's good for everybody else. With 100,000 cases, how can you overnight determine which 100,000 cases in Ohio have the coronavirus and which don't, even if you could test everyone? It's not tractable. It's just not a feasible operation.
0: Mm. Okay, so that's good to know um do you Do you feel that the numbers that are being sort of thrown around are that we we suspect that um, at maybe the height of this epidemic that sixty percent of the population will be infected? Do you think that's a good number or higher or lower I think that de- that determines on what happens
1: um, well should have started two weeks ago, but um, you know th- we still have time to reduce that percentage of infection. And, you know, we we can see at least 50 percent um, now that I know that they're shutting down schools now that I know we know that there are people that have kids and have to stop work and go home to take care of their kids. The problem with shutting down schools, of course, is that uh, about 20 percent of the nurses workforce in the, in the country have school aged children. And, mm. you know, there there hasn't been a lot of kind of forethought. And this is what I was saying last week. If we're going to shut down the schools, make sure that you have some kind of a daycare sharing situation for the the kids of the nurses, for the kids of the doctors. You have to take care of these people. In a, in, not that they're a separate cast, but you have to make sure that they're able to do their job. Um, because mm. with 6% of people with this infection... Um, getting, getting the, IC, the ICU, requiring the ICU up to, let's call it up to 66%, because there's something strange in the Hubei province that we talked about. Um, and 14% of people, both medical and non-medical, just regular people, having serious illness. I think we have something like 750,000 beds in the United States. We need, we really need millions. We, and we may have 46,000 ICUs beds and we're going to need you know hundreds of thousands hopefully and not millions of those the problem Mm -hmm. is that the medical community becomes overwhelmed and they can't they can't handle other things that they handle and so there are other people that have conditions that are that are equally lethal and those other conditions can actually um be, be become neglected and people can be turned away for a hospital bed because you know they're so overwhelmed about um about whether or not this is going to be contagious uh, to their staff and to everybody that works in a hospital. Um, but if we could, Bob's back to Hubei. This 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 question made me remember that you know there's a there's a bias towards men in terms of being seriously ill. So far as we know from the Chinese data, but the Chinese have a very very huge gender bias for smoking. So <laughs> you know it it seems like. It seems like there's a number of factors that could be going on here. I'm not saying that they did do a a phase three clinical trial, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to get a jump on it. I don't have any independent data. I've tried to look for it that that shows that they did a phase two or three clinical trial in uh, that sensitized people. But that's really important to think about the sensitization of being exposed to that spike protein. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, OK, so I, I want to come back to that in just a second because I want to address the elephant in the room, which is is obviously the vaccine as well. Um, so we'll get to that in, in a minute. So are we seeing that the mortality rates, I mean, I've heard the number 0.6% as the sort of mortality rate. Is that an accurate number?
1: Well, that uh, 0.6% overall, you're talking
0: about in the United States or worldwide? Worldwide. Worldwide. I mean, obviously, it's going to differ slightly from region to region, which we'll get into in a second, right? And, so from, and through through different demographics of population as well, obviously.
1: Yeah, right. sorry, I'm going back and forth. So, 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 when when people say, "Well, maybe we don't have so much to worry about," because. It's certainly a 25-year-old person probably doesn't have much to worry about. I'm 50-something, and so there are 35-year-olds who have died from this. And you know, from in, if you try to assess individual risk from 0.6%, it's just like the flu. It's, it's a bad mistake to make because the flu um, doesn't have as quick a rate of spread of so many people getting sick and dying at the same time. And so what we're mm-hmm. trying to do is we're trying to do social distancing and isolation. And hope, And now I see that they're funding therapeutics as well. I just saw that some philanthropists, including Bill Gates probably got the IPAC memo to go ahead and start funding therapeutics because social distancing alone won't solve this. We actually need antivirals on the table. We need vitamin C. We need, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, herbal therapeutics. Anything that will sh- slow down the, the, the virulence, you know, reduce the virulence of the virus, reduce the rate of transmission of the virus. Um, when, when people say, well, we don't have to worry because it's 0.6% uh, worldwide, um, I point to Italy. All right, Italy is a European country. Italy has Mediterranean lifestyle. They drink red wine they you know they eat the Mediterranean diet, so on and so on. There's something about Italy, or right, I point to Iran okay there's something different about Iran and I already said earlier you know forty five percent of Americans have uh um a a precondition that predisposes them to serious risk of of serious illness, critical illness and more or mortality from this virus. We are not a random group of people from the rest of the world we and so the most mm-hmm. medical doctors who've looked at this said that yes we're probably that we could be worse off than Italy as a as a country
0: oh wow okay so i mean and that that's good to know it's important to know um Let's you, – you brought it up. Let's talk about therapeutics. Um, obviously, you know, the the narrative that I keep hearing out there is everyone loves to talk about numbers. We love to talk about how, you know, what could potentially happen, how bad things are, anecdotal stories, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to the topic of of what can we do, aside from washing hands, social distancing, isolating, <coughs> quarantining, et cetera, there's not a whole lot of talk about <clears throat> actual therapeutics and then most people are defaulting to you know until the vaccine arrives keep washing your hands you know quarantining yourself etc so um let's let's leave the vaccine topic alone just for a few minutes and are there therapeutics that are being implemented on a large scale um whether you know vitamin c um i think that that's been thrown around a lot and correct me if i'm wrong i do believe that they are actually curing people in china with vitamin c um whether that's intravenous whether it's orally taken but let's start with the therapeutics what have you heard i mean do we have antivirals do we have access to these things do they work
1: well, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll direct people to jameslinesweiler.com There's an article of 21 key points that you need to know about this coronavirus. It includes the studies, the science that shows which antivirals might be useful. One of them is chloroquine phosphate. The Chinese have a study. They are using it, and they're starting to get things under control there with a very, very few new number of cases per day now. Um, High-dose vitamin C, there are anecdotes on that. The thing I want to emphasize that I think that we should really explore very rapidly in the United States is to get the people who have survived the infection that have Mm -hmm. antibodies, right, into a triage situation where they can find out who can donate and who cannot donate plasma. And you take a liter and a half, if you're an adult, of plasma. It's a lot, but we need it. And you isolate the antibodies and you... create a product that's called convalescent plasma therapy, for for convalescent plasma therapy, the survivors, because there's going to be hundreds of thousands of survivors who had mild illness, there should be plenty of convalescent serum around. The CDC doesn't want to do this because, well, you know, they want to put on their superhero cape and they want to bring the vaccine to America. They think that they're at the end of the script of a movie and save the world um, by injecting a A needle into their thigh and say, look, I did this for you, dad. Um, But the the reality is, you know, the reality is we're sitting on top of something that could really be, I think we must do it. And and if uh, people who are involved in seeking therapeutics go, you know, the philanthropists, if they see this video, they go to com. There's 21 objective points. They're backed by science, but I don't think I emphasize convalescent plasma therapy enough because There are are people with the cure in their bodies walking around. So how do you? Mm -hmm. If somebody's, I I get messages all the time with questions, and I'm sorry if I can't keep up with everyone's questions. And but people say, well, is it more dangerous? Is it as dangerous as, say, a vaccine? It there's no there's no adjuvant. There's no all the other stuff that people don't want in their vaccines. There's no aborted fetal cells and so on. What we have. Unlike vaccines, what we have is a series of antibodies that, for frontliners, especially in the medical community, um, mm. probably you know uh, need need to get this up f- front. And I do want to say that people are going to p- be you know calling and have called President Trump uh, selfish because he hasn't been tested. I want people to rem- remember: President Trump is the um, not only the executive in chief. Uh, executive-in-chief of of Ameri- the United States of America. He's also the highest-ranking official in the U.S. military. He's the commander-in-chief. Yeah. So if you don't think that the military has already protected our boys and girls, okay, mm-hmm. by with mm-hmm. convalescent mm-hmm. serum, ther- you know, plasma therapy... Uh, you know, I, he is protected by some other means. I'm sure he's the president of the United States. It's you know, if, if if you're a liberal and you're on the side of it, he's like a, a a punching bag. He's like a clown. But in the reality, in every way, shape, and form, no matter no matter who sits in that office, they are going to be given the ultimate protection because they are commander in chief of the military. So we we really need to start. we need to stop politicizing this. I don't care what side, what party you're part of. I don't care if you're an independent. I don't care if you're a liberal. I don't care if you're conservative. Everyone needs to stop political talk. I'm talking about Nancy Pelosi. I'm talking about uh, Republicans. You know, it is absolutely beyond the pale at this point to politicize this any further. We absolutely all have to pull in the same direction because this virus doesn't check your voting card. Just like a vaccine doesn't yeah. check your voting card, you know, um, or whether you're religious or not, if, if you're going to be injured by a vaccine, this virus doesn't care. It's the honey badger virus. Peak prosperity, I got to give a shout-out to peak prosperity. That's their phrase. That guy's great. <laughs> He's been on this every day. Um, but chloroquine phosphate is important. Convalescent therapy is important. And things that you think are antiviral, and before the medical mm-hmm. community goes crazy and says, "Wait a minute, well, you know, you, you're going to give them some arbitrary herbal," you're, you're giving people, encouraging people to try herbal supplements. You're crazy. This is not a crazy position because I'll tell you why. This I'm going to show it with my hand again. This is what happens if you do nothing, right? To mm-hmm. this, and it takes over the country, and we lose 10 percent, 20 percent of our elderly. This is what happens if you do just social isolation, it stabilizes. It actually oscillates like this back and forth, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is what happens if you just do convales. Uh, if you just do therapies, it stabilizes at a high rate. But if you do a combination of social distancing and you reduce the vir- virulence of this thing and cut it down with anything that works but doesn't hurt, anything that could help but doesn't hurt, then it goes up and it crashes. And that's what we want. Right, right. We want right. to get back to work. We want to get back to school. We want it to go up, stop, and nosedive down. And the simulations mm-hmm. show this. And so if somebody has a tea leaf extract that they think is antiviral, it's if it's not going to hurt you, sure, take yeah. it. But don't yeah. count on yeah. that alone. Count on, you know, if they offer you chloroquine phosphate, if they start distributing antivirals, you know, if you're in a really high, dense population population area where people have to get out um, or uh, certainly if you're on the medical front lines, um, you you absolutely start to. And and this is what I want to say. One thing that I need people to ask their congressman for right now is a hearing on why the cdc has not brought forward convalescent plasma serum uh plasma therapy that's that's issue number one get a hold of your congressman and senator today get their email uh, call their office as well and say that you really absolutely want a hearing on why congress why, why cdc has not mentioned convalescent plasma therapy for the united states citizens
0: hmm And, you know, I think it's also important to point out that the Chinese are actually doing, there, there are many, many clinical trials that are being done on herbal therapies right now over sure. there. You know, I mean, they, their medical system is essentially half allopathic and half traditional Chinese medicine. So so let's not, you know, discount, you know, because everyone is sort of waiting for the pharmaceutical um, solution to kick in and, you know, the, the drugs and whatnot. But I think, you know, if we go down to the health food store, we can shop online, we have access to antiviral herbs Uh, some of those would include and are not limited to things like olive leaf um, berberine golden seal oregano oil um, you know, vitamin C we've spoken about as well. So there are many, many things that could potentially help. But I think what's also important to understand is that, you know, because people love to shoot, shoot everyone down, you know, where's the science, where's the literature. And while we have some literature and some science, I think it's also important to point out that we are dealing with something that's novel. So all of this stuff is happening and emerging right now. So best to just be prepared and do what you can. Um, and you know, again, as you said do all of the other preventative measures to essentially give yourself the best fighting chance that you, that you can. Now,
1: um, let, me, let me say one yeah. last point on that. Please, so, please, so, please. so selenium is one I didn't mention, N-acetylcysteine, spirulina, and high-dose glucosamine. They're looking at remdesivir. We have studies that show that chloroquine and remdesivir it, it inhibit the entry of the 2019 NCOV in vitro. So the studies are there. There's also a, an active compound in licorice roots. Um, my point is, what would they have us do? Self-quarantine if for, what, 3, six, nine, 12, 24 months? You know, self-isolate for that long while they figure out their vaccine? Um, or would they also like to know that the population is trying to bring this thing to an end by using things that can't hurt them that might help? And exactly. This is a like you said. It's we're breaking new ground here. I think it's very important that people not try anything that is sold as snake oil, and it don't try don't reinforce anybody that says I have a cure for you know COVID 19. Um, ask them for the clinical study. If they don't have it, then look at the product yourself and say, okay, is this something that could potentially harm me. Does it make any sense that this could potentially harm me? And, Mm -hmm. you know, be really careful about taking anything that you wouldn't otherwise be able to take. Like if somebody says, well, I have a new extract from, uh, it's a mixture of gasoline and astragalus root. No, I'm not taking it. I'm not gonna be putting gasoline in my stomach.
0: Yeah, well, I I think what's important to recognise is that there are tried and tested um, antivirals, generally speaking, you know, general antivirals out there. Um, You know, you and I have both listed um, some of those uh, right here (laughs) in these last few minutes. Um, Okay, so let's address the elephant in the room, which is the vaccine. Um, Everyone, as I said, is is sort of hoping and praying that we're going to have a vaccine, and I just want to sort of um, paint the picture here and preamble a little bit. Typically, vaccines take many, many years to develop, um, depending on the type of vaccine that could be anywhere from eight to 15 years. And coincidentally, we now have the Chinese who are saying that they're ready to go um, probably in April uh, that 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 that's been thrown out there. That's actually those are news articles. Uh, we now also have a Canadian company that says that they can manufacture a vaccine that is not cultured or grown in egg um, it's actually, uh, I, I believe it's plant based. I'm not quite sure what that means exactly, uh, but they can turn a vaccine around in 20 days. Now, uh, where do we start with this, James? What, what, do, what do you have to say about all of this?
1: Well, let's start at the beginning. And let's say that I was to develop a vaccine. The first thing that I would have to do is, you know, find some component of the pathogen, a bacteria or virus or other organisms um, that um, I think have. Um, potential use in the vaccine by by being immunogen immunogenic. That means that they're capable of mounting an immune response. And once I've identified those, um, I have a choice of technologies that I might use. I might use a killed vaccine, the killed virus uh, or a bacterium. I might use um, isolated proteins. Uh, I might create a virus-like particle that has the proteins on the outside or the shell or the coat of the particle, whatever I use, I then have to go through animal studies. The animal studies are there so that we can see if there's any unintended consequences of using this particular vaccine on mammals. So usually it's done in mice, (coughs) mice or rats or ferrets and the outcomes that are looked at include the efficacy of the the vaccine. So you vaccinate an, an animal, and then you challenge the animal with the virus or the, the with the pathogen to see how many develop symptoms. They might de- they already have antibodies, hopefully, the, you know, from the from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But you want to see if the vaccine um, is effective, and so you look at the efficacy this way. The second thing that you want to look at is. Whether or not there's any unintended consequences, and so you look at the health outcomes of the animals. So it's you know you, you don't just look to see okay well yeah okay um, I've I've got a vaccine against say the measles I, I did the animal study and by the way I doubt that there was any animal studies but that's a whole other thing for somebody. <laughs> we'll of these we'll other
0: get to that in just a minute. Yeah. But don't worry. <laughs> but,
1: but for me meas- okay. So you 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 inject the um the the, the antigen source. And then you look and say, "Okay, do we see the disease?" That's one thing. The other thing that you should look at is see if there's any unintended consequences, like autoimmunity. Um, or is there? What's the what's the risk of morbidity or disease? What's the risk of mortality? You know, imagine doing a study for coronavirus and finding that um, all the animals that were vaccinated had a higher risk of you know um, serious illness from um, the very virus you're trying to protect it from. And so when I, I, I suspected the, the, that, but I did, did not know that there was, were no animal studies to date on the SARS-2 coronavirus vaccine that's being tested right now in the state of Washington. This is a collaboration between the U.S. NIAID, that's Anthony Fauci, and Moderna. That's a company whose stock has skyrocketed because they went to phase one clinical trial with, with people. Um, I suspected two weeks ago that there was no animal studies, and I looked around, and now it's been confirmed, uh, and the media is talking about it. There has been no animal studies to show whether this is safe. And um, the reason why that's a huge problem in this case is because we already know from the SARS vaccine studies, the animal, not the SARS coronavirus too, but the SARS coronavirus, that animals had increased risks of things like hepatitis, and increased risk of um, infiltrate. So I just want to read a few things here from some of the studies. So the um, immunized ferrets developed a more rapid and vigorous neutralizing antibody response than control animals, but they also exhibited a strong inflammatory response in liver tissue. That was for um, the um, SARS uh, study. Um, so there's another one, the, the the VRPN vaccines, this is for SARS, not only failed to protect from homologous or heterologous challenge, but resulted in an enhanced immunopathology. Now this term enhanced has been changed to enhanced immunity, and it's the wrong term. Peter Hotez calls it enhanced immunity, and because he uses that term, I came up with a new term, it's pathogenic priming. So it the, the goes on, the vaccine resulted in enhanced immunopathology with eosinophilic infiltrates within the lungs of SARS-CoV-challenged mice, they were sicker, and they had unacceptable high mortality rates. So we're looking at a, a, a knowledge base that has been thrown out the window. They know that it would lead mm-hmm. to a, 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 a vaccine being produced by them to be a problem if they did the animal studies. so they've skipped it it's not as though they don't know about this history. Right. So this pathogenic priming occurs most almost certainly because there are the immunogenetic parts of the protein in the in the spike protein in SARS and SARS coronavirus 2 match human proteins and cause autoimmunity on second exposure. That's that's what seems to be happening because wow. these vaccines are adjuvanted
0: so okay so i just want to try and put that in lay terms for people watching um and and please if you can help me here that would be great um so if we're getting a vaccine we're starting to see inflammatory conditions and just just going back to what you said a minute ago you're um you're now more susceptible to other viruses is that is is that nope, a, a good way of framing it
1: or no nope.
0: go ahead Okay, so help, yeah. So, so there's, I mean, we'll come back to that in a second. And of course, the autoimmune side of things is huge, right? Um, So, correct me if I'm wrong as well. But um, and perhaps this is maybe a little bit too too further along here, and we can come back to it. It's my understanding that. Um, you know you mentioned earlier about Hubei province right and the vaccines and and these trials do you think that that's part of why they why we're seeing such a huge number compared to anywhere else like are they more susceptible is is that what the vaccine is doing or
1: so it's interesting because pathogenic priming can occur no matter how you're um, exposed to it there's a paper out by um, uh, a science writer named Jason Tetro um that where he says that the coronavirus might actually be getting some help in terms of being more dangerous because there are other viruses that are similar to it that prime this pathogenic priming as i'm calling it the pathogenic priming can occur in in hubei province if people are exposed to the spike protein or a a relative of the spike protein through the um, processing and preparation and eating of con- consuming of meats in a market, um, but you know the the, the the question is why now, it, as opposed yeah, to a yeah. hundred years ago and or fifty years ago. And what happened that was different is is on January one China's um, oh, sorry uh, December one, two thousand nineteen China's new whole population vaccination program went into place, and so these people are walking around with adjuvant in them then they get exposed to it, just like the mice. That's the missing component. So whether it was a vaccine mm. for, um, whether it was a vaccine, the, a secret trial, or whether it was just this mass vaccination program, and now they're uh, they're exposed to the coronavirus, and they're developing autoimmunity against tissues in their lung, in their liver, and kidneys. And so I have a paper under review right now that shows which specific parts of the proteins in SARS-CoV-2 are probably responsible for the immunopathology that we see, the pathogenic priming, mm-hmm. and I hope that that review process goes quickly because you know uh, this sounds all academic, and I don't want it to sound academic. I am so pissed off that they went ahead with a vaccine trial in the United States without doing the animal studies that I want every person that within the sound of my voice to contact their congressman and their senators and, and order and, and ask for and have them hold a hearing. An emergency mm. hearing on immunopathology, right? Of, uh, a pathogenic priming hearing on on why they didn't do animal studies first, uh, whose decision it was to go forward with with the human trials, and why are they paying people four thousand five hundred dollars to take this this right. vaccine? That is highly right. unethical. These people are un knowingly tra- potentially trading a lifelong risk of more serious illness from coronavirus by, by being vaccinated. And so I have an article on this on LinkedIn. The article is um, kind of taking off on LinkedIn, which is good to see, but I'm asking the question, um, are Moderna and USNID poised to endanger the world population? Because if the United States gets a vaccine that's not animal safety tested, and it includes those unsafe epitopes then the entire mm. world could suffer massively in 2021 2022 when another coronavirus outbreak comes so it's the rechallenge with an infection that's the problem after you've been in- right. injected with this anti with an adjuvanted vaccine that has these proteins
0: right and i think it's also important i mean at least from what i've seen there's also no placebo controls at all either um th- 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 this is happening in seattle uh where i think there's forty five people that they're wanting to test on and no placebo no animal safety studies so you know that that's also quite concerning for me
1: <laughs> it should be concerning so
0: um
1: it's par for the course for um for vaccine safety studies um in 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 the, to not use an appropriate placebo i don't even think that they're using an adjuvant placebo so they, right, they right. you know they if if the, wow. if if there's patho if there's pathogenesis, that is disease-causing by the vaccine from the biological components, and only in the people that get just the biological component, then they wouldn't want to see that. So here's mm-hmm, a case mm-hmm. where it might be so dangerous that even a incorrectly placebo vaccine safety trial might show that there's a problem. And again, the reason why we don't have a SARS vaccine is not because of anti-vaxxers. It's because mm-hmm. vaccine mm-hmm. safety science translational research worked, and it showed the world. And the paper, the authors of these papers, they actually say caution, <laughs> extreme caution yeah. is warranted. In bringing these vaccines into the human population. So please mm-hmm. make a point sometime today to contact your congressmen and senators, write email, call the office, leave a message. We need thousands and thousands of phone calls about why there's no animal safety studies and that we absolutely have to see that the, var- the very vaccine that they're using, not a similar vaccine, not something that's one off, the exact vaccine that they're using in human beings has a safety profile that's okayed by uh, animal studies?
0: Well, of course, what we're going to hear is, you know, this is an emergency situation. We need to rush it to market. It would be unethical if we didn't, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that, you know, the concern that I have as well is that given the the hyped state that the media is creating, which I think to a certain degree is warranted, you know, I mean, like we are facing a genuine um, pandemic. There, there, this is escalating rapidly. But I think what um, my concern is that people are just – without even thinking about it, without even looking into this, they're just going to roll up their sleeve and say, give it to me, you know, and 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 en masse. And again, the unintended consequences, um, we're not sure of. But I want to add a couple of things here, James, and get, you, you know, just, just to sort of look a little bit further ahead and, and where this is all going what are your do you have any concerns over the virus itself mutating so let's for example say we we create this you know COVID 19 vaccine and next season or whenever it is much like hiv this thing just replicates and and essentially alters um its its makeup and therefore rendering the vaccine ineffective like what are your thoughts on that
1: so the specific vaccine that moderna has is called an mrna vaccine which means that they can literally change it to any strain that's circulating very quickly um, which is a benefit i'll admit it (coughs) however it still encodes the spike protein and what we what we know from other studies is that a process called um, uh, immune epitope suppression and it 's also called um, original antigenic sin that if you 're vaccinated against say this coronavirus this year and another one comes out, um, not only will the vaccine not be likely to work like the flu, the flu definitely mutates every year right, but right. you could actually you could actually become more susceptible to a, a variant of the flu. Um, because your immune system B cells, it turns out, is conf- is confused about what it's doing. I'm, uh, right. There's there absolutely every reason to cons- to be concerned about mutations in viruses for which we have vaccines, uh, including the measles. I was in Connecticut, and there was a Yale epidemiologist that testified to a committee. Um, that want, wanted to strip away the rights for people to say, "I don't want a vaccine based on religious reasons." That uh, the measles vi- vaccine does not mutate. In fact, the measles, vac- the measles virus doesn't mutate. The measles virus has something like 4.3 mutations, um, you know, per replication. It's it's a huge. It, it's not it's not as rapid as an RNA virus like the coronavirus. The coronavirus has a ridiculously high mutation rate, and also the very biology of how this thing. Works is if you're infected with two coronaviruses that are that are similar, they will recombine and create a hybrid virus. Okay, oh, wow. so okay. the okay. the recombination is essential, actually essential to alter. There's an alternative splicing-like mechanism where uh, in, in, there's an S protein, a structural uh, protein, and a spike protein, and and there's it's called a polyprotein at the beginning. Uh, the polyprotein has multi, it encodes multiple different proteins, and so there is variation because it's an RNA virus. The mutations that occur in the RNA, you know, if you if you inject me with this coronavirus right now, and I get sick and I get better in five days or six days or two weeks, whatever, um, and then you isolate the virus. Uh, by the way, this this virus is known to <laughs> you can shed the virus after you're infected for like 68 days in your feces. This is a big oh, wow. problem. Okay. Yeah. It's That's like a
0: parasite. Yeah.
1: So wow. so, yeah. so I'm uh, 68 days later you isolate it it's going to look very different. It's going to have hundreds and hundreds of mutations from just by being in me. This thing will adapt to my immune system. And if I pass it on to someone else, it'll adapt to their immune system. The, 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 the net influx of mutations into a population determines the rate of evolution. And mRNA viruses have, among all the viruses, the highest rate of evolution because they have such a high mutation rate.
0: Well, wow. and then when you map that onto this exponential- well not exponential, but you know what I mean—this rapid spread, um, obviously that just you know accelerates the whole process. Um, and now I, I've heard reports coming out of this is all very recently, obviously. I mean, literally within the last couple of days, uh, reports of people in China being reinfected um, after they have uh, been cured. Any any insight into that? Yeah, absolutely. So um,
1: it appears that you can be reinfected. There's multiple reports, not just in China, that I've seen now that a person that had um, uh, the the, the infection and had symptoms then reacquired a new infection. And that's probably not unrelated to the fact that there's multiple strains circulating around and our immune systems don't see it. The problem is through this pathogenic priming, these people... Know that they have a secondary infection because they are even sicker the second time, right? Mm-hmm. So if you get the vac- mm-hmm. if you get the virus one time and then you get the same strain, you're really not going to notice it. The, the immune system should be able to take care of it, right? But if you get a right. different, a slightly different one, then the immune system might not really know how to fight that different one off. Uh, the, my my study that's under review also shows that this particular virus, um, of the immunogenic epitopes that match human proteins that could cause autoimmunity that I was talking about. Um, A third of them, right, uh, seven out of 21, I think it is, have matches or homology to very key players in our immune system. Mm. So the actual pathogenesis of this virus may involve um and attack our own body attacking our immune system cells uh, our immune system proteins and if that's the case then people that have mutations th- through no fault of their own just through the accident of how they were born they have genetic mutations that make their protein one step closer or more similar you know to the viral protein those are at highest risk and nobody knows who they are because they're not doing individualized medicine when it comes to I, you know, immunity. Right. We, we, right. we have the ability to sequence our genomes, right? If somebody gave me their whole genome sequence, and I'm not asking to do this, I'm not offering a service, and I won't analyze anybody's data, but it's <laughs> theoretically, if somebody gave me their whole human genome sequence or their exome sequence, I could analyze it, I could tell them <coughs> this virus is likely to, if it induces autoimmunity, it'll attack you here, and it'll attack you there. I could tell you the protein, I can tell you the tissue. Why? Because it it, it only takes a small segment of the epitope to match, to confuse the immune system. So Ah. if we go back to mutations for a minute, um, it's it's understood in viral evolution that if you are infected with a virus in a population, it spreads throughout a population, it's going to kill off that variant that comes in that's really lethal. It's really lethal. It'll kill off individuals that are most susceptible. Probably through genetics, but it'll also, with those people dying, it'll take the virus takes takes itself out of the running. Those so the, the strains that are left are going to be less virulent. The strains that are left yeah. are not going to be less transmissible. They're going to be more transmissible. The ones that survive are more transmissible. So there's this it's called an adaptive landscape of transmissibility versus virulence. I wrote about this on um, my blog many uh, moons ago now about Ebola the transmissibility is the ability of the virus to actually transmit that's supposed to be expected to get better and better and better and better for the virus so it's more and more right. likely to get it but the virulence yeah. is mo- is supposed to go down further and further and further so if we inter- the interesting thing is if we interrupt that process and it's a conundrum at this point if we interrupt that process with a with a vaccine we've changed the adaptive landscape in, in ways we don't understand and, yeah. and, and and people will say well we're playing god we're messing with nature i'm just talking as a scientist when you have a new virus and it has such, such strong propensity i believe um from the basis of the studies that i've done to induce autoimmunity are we making it more transmissible are we making it more lethal yeah, there's there's yeah. Some, there in an adaptive landscape where you have this third factor, it becomes a three-dimensional landscape. It's not just a two-dimensional landscape. In that three-dimensional landscape, there, there are adaptive peaks. The, the virus fitness is what I'm talking about. The adaptive peaks on the human landscape is here without the vaccine, but the adaptive peak might be over here with the vaccine, and the virus will go towards whatever that adaptive peak is, and we don't know what that is. That's the problem. Hmm. There are too many hmm. variables.
0: Yeah. So I'm... Um i'm gonna just just to bring us into the close here um you know obviously we're going on about an hour now um you know you talk about having such close similarities to uh the human tissue etc etc um not tissue i'm 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 botching the the nomenclature here that's that's fine because
1: proteins are part of tissue it's
0: fine right 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 but but you know there's talk out there um you know you and i spoke about this before we hopped on here in the early stages, and given the origins of the virus, given the fact that it's coming out of a a very, um, you know, I think it's a level four um, security lab, one of the few in the world that deals with highly infectious pathogens. Do you, you know, how how did this virus come about? Like, do you think it was a natural mutation of something that existed already? Or do you feel that this was somehow engineered for research purposes, for whatever purposes? Like, do do you have any thoughts on that? And again, I'm sort of putting my tinfoil hat on a little bit here. And uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. But if you have any insight into that, um, I know people are asking that question.
1: Okay, so I I think we can rule out biological weapon. Um, The reason why I think we can rule out biological weapon is because looking at the sequences that I've looked at, there doesn't seem to be any credible evidence that there are new elements here that necessarily could only have come from, you know, somebody with a pipette in a lab doing, you know, transfection experiments and using P-Shuttle and so on. Um, So, you know, but it doesn't mean that it didn't come from a lab. There's no yeah. evidence that it wasn't a natural virus that was being studied in the Wuhan Institute for Virology or by the military of China, for that matter, and accidentally escaped. And and I'm not yeah. just trying to play peacemaker here. I really am basing this on data. I've looked at the data uh, where I did an in-depth analysis, another IPAC study that's under review right now, where I looked at the functional motifs of the spike protein to see... If there's anything different about this spike protein compared to the SARS coronavirus, and I noticed that there is a short, what's called, and for this is, I speak technically. People say, could you dumb it down? You're using too many big <laughs> words. I speak technically because there are scientists that watch my videos as well. Exactly. Okay? But exactly. But there's so there's a short and terminal segment compared to the SARS vaccine in the spike uh, SARS virus in the spike protein. there's two missing middle segments of, of functional motifs the, 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 the amino acids are there, the, the, the sequence is there, but there's two that are missing. the she 3 is missing and the KXD is missing. And then at the end, and this is going to you know blow things up again here, but there's a Gp40 like motif at the end. Now GP40 is the type of an envelope protein that we see in like an HIV. But right. ev- evolution can put that kind of thing there, too, if it is adaptive for this virus to attack immune systems for some reason. See, so it, mm. it's called convergent evolution. So what's the most likely scenario? Just knowing that, we don't know. But if you look at the time frame, of, I asked the question, the following question of the national databases, of, of protein databases, this, given that we know this motif, this motif pattern, uh, a short end terminal, two missing in the middle, and a GP40-like, given that we know that that could be a signature, is it present in any of the other beta coronaviruses? And the answer is no. There's a bit right. of it up in one, the, the short end terminal, but the whole pattern is not there. And Then I ask the following question, all right, so if it's not in the other beta coronaviruses, it looks like it's brand new what's the earliest date that anyone published a sequence that had this? And I found it in a SARS, um, what must be a mislabeled SARS coronavirus. The only SARS coronavirus that had it was a sequence that was published in 2005 by Chinese researchers who had isolated the virus from bats in Hong Kong. Okay? They, they, in a spirit of transparency and to help humanity understand coronaviruses and SARS the Chinese published this sequence and they didn't know that it had this spike protein like structure. The, it has yeah. the SARS-CoV-2 structure, the, 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 the structural motif pattern. So they were doing the right thing, they were being good citizens and they published it. Our scientists at the University of North Carolina, in Dr. Barrick's lab, downloaded those sequences one of them, it downloaded four sequences. One of them was one of these sequences. And I know that Barrick and his team didn't know that this was a SARS uh, coronavirus-like, SARS-2-like virus, or that it was even something different because they calculated mm-hmm. what's called a consensus sequence among all four of what they thought were SARS. It's just an accident of history that I noted that, uh, well, it's right, I, I asked it because the right question because I'm a scientist, but it was just an accident of history that the history of these viruses included a, sig- a SARS-CoV-2-like signature way back in 2005. Our scientists were messing around with it in 2008. Had they only downloaded one sequence, and it, it had they only downloaded this one sequence that the Chinese published, they would have reconstituted the SARS-CoV-2-like virus in the lab in 2008 in the United States, and the outbreak could have started here but they didn't they calculated consensus so they got lucky and and by the way this is so scientifically important because there are a lot of -of gain-of-function studies which we're all suspicious of or or, why would you want to give a virus more functions well sometimes we give gain-of-function studies so that we can make allow the virus to infect say mouse tissue so we can study the virus in mice if it can't infect the mice then we need to make it be able to do that But there may be studies of compounds that are effective at treating this. If people go and look at the actual protein motif signature, look at the spike protein of the viruses that you've been studying, the SARS viruses, and see if you are not also accidentally studying treatments for SARS-CoV-2 and you didn't know it. And that, right? Huh. So imagine you have two viruses, but you don't know it. You have the SARS and the SARS CoV 2, and it was already there in 2005. Why? Because it's been around for a while, and they, they just sampled from nature. And you're testing out a compound, and you say, well, okay, so I'm going to test it on this mouse, I'm going to test it on that mouse, and test it on that mouse. Well, if the third mouse was infected with SARS CoV 2 and you didn't know it, then you have a heterogeneous population, it's called, and the properties of the treatment are we might have more effective treatments than we know because we really don't understand what we're doing when we're looking at the functional differences among viruses. So there's plenty of slop, I would say. Uh, And I I prefer slop and profit motive over bioweapons and conspiracy, 100%. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Because we we are not as smart as we think we are as a species. Scientists think that they're really super smart. They have this... Uh, you know dunning Kruger effect that oh well I, I you know medical medical uh, professionals as well they're actually taught you know you're going to make mistakes and kill people, but that's okay because you're a god right You, you don't want to think that way you want to be humble and that's why when I when I first came out and I said that I think that this spike protein was related to P shuttle SN. I've spent the last month, instead of working on blogs about therapeutics, I spent the last month talking about this issue that, no, 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 it was just a hypothesis. No, no, no. Uh, You know, there's three other hypotheses. I've subsequently tested the hypothesis with phylogenetics, and that's how I found the 2008, um, uh, the 2005 sequence I believe that scientists are exonerated this time, but it does not mean it did not escape from the Wuhan Institute for Virology Lab. That's a different right. question. If they're brought in one to find out what it's like, they didn't modify it, and it escaped, and it still had these properties, okay. If they brought it in and they modified it for gain of function, and it escaped, okay. Uh, the, the, the Chinese diplomat right now just made a very, very cursed tweet Um, uh, last night, I think it was, the Trump administration responded it, or yesterday, the Trump administration responded and said, no, we know where it came from. The Chinese diplomat implied that somehow the U.S. Army may have brought this virus into Wuhan and set off this fire, and that our scientists need to be more transparent that they're giving back to us the treatment that they think that they're getting from from me, frankly, because I'm in touch. I can't tell you how many Chinese national scientists have contacted me. They've actually written a paper, in a peer reviewed peer reviewed paper, saying that they were appalled that I would suggest that this could possibly come from a lab. And all they did was wow. a, a simple multiple alignment of the peace shuttle compared to other proteins. That doesn't prove it didn't come from a lab. What that proves is that that the missing segment that the original Chinese publication could not identify, that missing segment, and then another study by a Greek team, they could not identify. It. they called it the middle fragment, has a spike protein part to it. That's all it proves. It doesn't prove where it came from. So my study, which is under peer review, demonstrates that they're exonerated in terms of artificial origin. We know it came from nature. That's what I think. Okay, okay. Um, And we don't know that that natural sequence didn't escape from a Chinese laboratory. And the, the, the fact is in 2000, between 2003 and 2014, there were six escapes of SARS from a laboratory, hmm. six of them, okay, And four of those came from a lab in Beijing. So sloppy human beings messing around with viruses in the lab with a profit motive, is obviously a recipe for disaster. And let's not kid ourselves, you know, China is a communist state, but there is a profit motive in terms of getting involved and beating people to the market for a vaccine. There's no doubt about it. We need to knock that off. We need to make vaccines so unprofitable you know, it's kind of, we should, like, nationalize it and say, no, you cannot make a profit. You have to be a not-for-profit. If you turn a profit, you're right. unethical. We need to go that route with vaccines. And everything's on the line for them, too, because they're, they're absolutely the, – the, the the truth is coming forward that they tried to suppress since 1986 or before – the truth is coming forward about real risks and attendant risks of vaccinations, and everything is on the line for them, which is going to make so many people in our immediate community so suspicious that this is just a way to shut down our discussions and this kind of thing. Listen, I told you earlier what we think the real risks are. If you have an elderly person, take care of your family. Make sure that they don't get mm-hmm. sick. Don't, don't, God forbid that they should get this thing twice, right, given everything that we've talked about, all right? And I'm leading the fight against this rush to um, human trials with vaccines that are not inadequately safety tested. They have shown all of their cards. All their cards are on the table. And all we have to do is alert our politicians to that. You know what? They have set us up for a fight when it comes to our very lives. And they have to demonstrate this thing is safe in animals. They could do that study mm-hmm. anytime. They they don't have oh it's not too late. They could do that study any time. Yeah, yeah. They could do it tomorrow. So we need that study done. We need it done with a large number of animals. We need it done with all the vaccines for SARS, coronavirus too. And it's not that I don't care. It's clear the it's I've clear very clearly care about people that are gonna get sick and die from this. I have been the mm-hmm. like you said at the, the beginning of this of the segment, um, I was one of the first early voices saying, we got to shut this down. I'm one of the loudest voices saying, we got to protect the medical infrastructure, right? It's going to be a disaster worse than Italy, and yet you still have to go by the book in terms of translational research. If you don't, you're going to be potentially putting the entire world at risk of 20% mortality across the board next time it comes around.
0: Which would obviously be totally catastrophic so james i think um you know let's wrap it up there thank you so much for taking time out to speak with me today and um you know i think I i hope anyway for those of you watching out there and listening to this that you know i know some of the the terms and some of the um the way that James presents things, you know, he is a top-notch scientist, so um, we're trying to appease the scientific community while at the same time trying to sort of um, bring people who, who are not scientists into the fold so that we can sort of make sense of what's going on. Um, so it seems to me, James, like the best thing that we can be doing right now is really just to be isolating ourselves, limiting human-to-human contact Um, taking uh, herbs and therapeutics, uh, you know, uh, antivirals that we know may work and that Mm -hmm. are that don't have negative side effects um, and just sort of see see how this whole thing plays out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you've taken the time to stock up your pantry and you have a deep pantry for a couple of weeks, two or three, four weeks, if you've done that, right, um, then it's time to take care of other people. It's, it's the most mm-hmm. natural human thing to then go, how can I help people that I know and love? How can I help my neighbor? And the best way thing that you can do, and I'm going to say this point blank, the best thing that you can do to help your neighbor, your children, your grandparents, is to call your congressman and call your senator. The most important threat that we have right now is not this immediate virus. It's the outcome after they vaccinate everyone. And the people still get the virus, or people get a related virus. If you got to think long term in this, but certainly, yeah. you know, share the advice of getting your pantry ready. Understand that you you are part of your government in the United States. You have the right and the responsibility to participate in your own government. Don't just throw your hands in the air and say they're all corrupt, because they too have children. They too are susceptible. They too will be vaccinated. OK, people are I can I can hear people that I know the specific people that I know and love right now. They say, no, they won't. They won't take the vaccine. They'll put it on all of us. No, they will take this vaccine to build confidence in the rest of the world. They'll line up all this congressmen and senators in a meeting and they'll vaccinate them. There'll be a big show. Um, oh, it'll only be sailing. OK, well, we could do this all day long. But what are we going to do? Stop listening to our podcast and go call your congressman and go call your senator and demand animal safety studies for every SARS Cov to vaccine and for every vaccine going forward. And um, thank you so much, Brett, for ha- for hosting this. I yeah. really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and likewise, James. I mean, for those of you tuning in on Facebook, or wherever. Um, obviously, this is a total renegade um, <laughs> meeting today. We just we literally just uh, came about this last night. So um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And um, you know, I just wish everyone nothing but the best. And I think that you know, my my sort of parting words here is let's really try and keep the panic down you you know i don't think panic is is going to really solve anything um You know, I think just being vigilant, uh, self-quarantining, staying in isolation, um, eating right, getting rest, you know, taking whatever you can to support your immune system, um, you know, uh, help with antivirals and so forth. Uh, I think that's really the way to go here. Um, So thanks, James. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up and I'm going to catch up. I know we're doing a Facebook live feed here, so uh, we'll see if there's any comments there. And um, yeah, have an awesome day, everyone. Thank you.